Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Well, welcome. It is Monday, June 28th, 2021. And I welcome all of you here. Our first in-person monthly meeting. We will continue tonight uh, to discuss the call. We began it during the boot camp last month. And toward the end, we kind of rushed through it, uh, which was not sufficient for the Lord. He says to continue to elaborate more on the call and commission. And as you remember, we talked to... This all is springing forth from the discussion on the seer, the seer, which is uh, a type of prophet. And so we will start off with a review of that and then go a little bit more specific into the call and commissioning. And included in the call will be the acceptance of the call along with training and consecration, and from there, commissioning, which is like a release into into ministry. Hallelujah. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for every heart present here and those who are present um, online. Lord God, we thank you that The words that are released are from you, from the throne room of heaven that you have placed within my heart and spirit to release through my mouth as a mouthpiece for you. That you move upon me as you would have these words and the discussion go forth. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the angelic hosts that are here to assist. And I thank you for the power, your authority to stand in this office and to have the authority to preach and teach your word as your prophet in the land. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So the seer. The seer is a person enabled by God to discern his divine will supernaturally. One whose eyes had been opened to see or understand things that were not evident to humans in general. A seer was a person and is a person consulted by others 
in the Old Testament for wise counsel on problems. So you don't see that word used much in today's uh, language. In 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 9, it reads, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Therefore, a seer is a prophet, or he or she is a type of a prophet, as there are many different types of prophets. And so much so, that would be a whole other lesson if we wanted to talk about the various types of prophets, your marketplace prophets, your apostolic prophets, etc. The prophet and the seer represent two different dimensions or flows of the prophetic. It's how they receive messages from God. Messages that he wants to convey to his people. So that's their purpose. So you have what we call the prophet, which is called a Nabi prophet. Their normal or their regular form of communication is verbal. They hear more than anything else. So they're hearing the words come forth from their spirit and then they release them. Then you have the seer. The seer prophet has a stronger receptive dimension. Receptive meaning all of their senses are enlightened and God speaks to them through their various senses. Typically they're receiving pictures or various visions, dreams, etc. As discussed last month in the boot camp, we talked a little bit about the similarities and the differences between the two streams. And those were recorded so you could go back and, and re-listen uh, at your leisure. Now, we also talked about how the prophetic comes. How does it, how do I receive a word in other words? And the manifold purpose of the, the spiritual gifts. The prophet was and is a fourth teller as well as a foreteller. He speaks whatever God once said. Now there's similarities and differences of the stream and we already talked about there being the Nabi prophet, which they typically flow spontaneously. Sometimes you'll see someone have the tongues um, and interpretation of tongues, which is prophecy, or they will just flow through a spontaneous flow from their spirit man and they prophesy according to their portion of faith, meaning how experienced they are, mature they are, and how often they have exercised that gift and flowed in that capacity. Then you have the seer prophet. They tend to flow slower in their ministry, not to say that they cannot nobby when they prophesy, meaning words come straight from the spirit. The emphasis here with the seer is that they will see something God will show them something someone to be said or to be shared it could be in a picture could be a panoramic view could be one word it could be an object they often flow very slow because they're describing what they see and it's unfolding before them as they minister it's, it's like happening like a motion picture they are dependent upon um the angelic and the manifested presence of God to present because angels are very active and they can see 
what these angels are doing. They assist the God in pre- presenting uh, what it is they wants the prophet to say. They often get their information ahead of time and tell it later. And that's because of visions and dreams that could come at any time. Prophets' words bring supernatural victory. Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 20 reads, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe and remain steadfast to God's prophets, and you shall prosper. So they're bringing victory. You will prosper. Amen? They're bringing life. Prophets guide and protect God's people by revealing the thoughts, purposes, timing, and purpose, a personal word of God, and ministering his mighty power to them in their situation. Amos 3.7 says, Surely the sovereign God, or the sovereign Lord, does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So if you really want to judge a word, and it's coming from someone, if it, it was, if it was revealed to the prophets, it will come to pass. That is the mark of their, their ministry. There was four words that describe how the prophetic comes, how it flows. Remember, it, one, one, one was pronounced nataf, spelled N-A-T-A-F, N-A-T-A-F, which means to let drop like rain. And then we had a couple scriptures that... Uh, talked about that. It's mainly like an accumulation of, of information slowly dropping as rain, and then it continues to build up and build up and build up as the word unfolds. Uh, examples would be in Isaiah twenty eight ten, where the Bible talks about the word um, being precept upon precept, line upon line. And then a second way that the word or the prophetic utterance will come with a word called Masa, spelled M-A-S-S-A, M-A-S-S-A. This word refers to the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord or God's burden is placed upon a person. So when the hand is placed upon him, it's heavily placed, and what's released into that individual is the burden that God has placed upon them. Just like a handmaiden receiving uh, a seed or or um, just a, a burden to pray, a seed to release. And it can, it may not be released immediately. It's something that could take time before it's released. The prophetic word is like a placenta. Remember we talked about the placenta uh, with a baby, how it's connected. The prophetic word is connected to God through the prophet. Other words that describe the word coming forth is nabi. Nabi, as we talked earlier, is one of the ways that they describe what we call, I won't say average prophet, but just the prophet. A prophet that is not a seer is sometimes called a nabi prophet. And that's where there's a continuous flow of of, uh, words. In John 7, 38, it says that he who believes in me who adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow continually rivers of living water. And then the last one is uh, pronounced propatia, spelled P-R-O-P-H-E, 
N-E-U-T-E-I-A. New Testament Greek word, which means speaking forth the mind and the counsel of God. It's actually speaking on behalf of another. And this is truly uh, an aspect of, of being a mouthpiece for God. It's where you have a very strong anointing that will come forth and the person will speak forth what God is saying. And there's no questioning that it isn't God speaking. Okay, so we, we after that we talked about the call and we shared in depth the call of Samuel in 1 Samuel 1, 11, that he was called from birth because Hannah dedicated him to the Lord before he was born. And then, and he was supernaturally uh, implanted too. I mean, she prayed for this pregnancy and God allowed her to conceive. And then in chapter three was his call and commission. And so if you wanted to go back, you can read the detail of Samuel, prophet Samuel. Then there's Isaiah in Isaiah six, one through 10. This is where Isaiah saw the throne of God, and then he was touched, an angel touched his tongue with the, um, the coal, the hot coal, which seared him, and it purged him, and it cleansed him of all of his, his iniquity. That time, at that time also, the gift of the prophet was imparted during that encounter. Ezekiel the prophet, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4 through Two and uh, verses eight, who also saw heavens opened. He saw uh, the visions of God. This is where he too received his call as a prophet. Remember, Ezekiel was um, a priest because he came out of the lineage of Levi. And so um, he became prophet God called him from that priestly ministry into the office of a prophet and then Jesus Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1 verse 20 he was born a king he was baptized by water and then he at that time the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and lightning came upon him and God said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then there's Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me, this is Paul speaking, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So see, Paul was even called in his mother's womb. He speaks of, in this verse, he speaks of everlasting predestination by which he appointed him to be an apostle, of which he makes three distinctions, the everlasting counsel of God, his appointing from his mother's womb, and his calling, which was by grace. So if we read a little more uh, in detail in Acts chapter 9, Verses one through nine, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He's calling him Lord. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So after Paul's Damascus road conversion in Acts chapter 9, in, uh, in verses 10 through 15, the Lord came to Ananias. He came to him in a vision to go and find Saul. So as Saul had prayed and Saul saw in a vision Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he would receive his sight again. So even though Paul was blinded naturally, Spiritually, he was able to see a vision. And in Acts 9, uh, we'll read that 10 through 19. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus, Tarsus. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So he says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that I may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That you may uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So this encounter on the road to Damascus completely redefined who Paul was. 
and he changed the purpose of his journey from silencing the Christians to speaking out in support of them. Instead of taking away their number, he added to it. And once Jesus redirected him, Paul continued on his trajectory for the rest of his life. He was mightily, mightily used by the Lord. Amen. So he was called and, and a gift was implanted in him. And that's why many people say the call. When you, when you experience the call and you have the call, something happens to you. Something changes you. Something especially supernatural that you can't explain. Can't explain it at all. And I had shared earlier that this was going to be an opportunity for me to share more personally about myself as God or and Holy Spirit had asked me to do. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my call. As a, as a little girl, I just remember always hanging out at church. Someone was always taking me to church. My mom would go to church a lot. Uh, my aunts would take me to church. The next door neighbor would take me to church. All I knew was about sitting on the pews at a church with my feet couldn't even, <laughs> they wouldn't even drop over the edge of the chair. That's how small and that I remember. And I can remember just being at home and happy at church. So when I wasn't able to go to church, I got to be like eight, nine, no one was taking me. I went to church on my own. I found a church and I would walk to that church on my own. I didn't know what time they started. I just know I was going to church. And so I would go up and take myself to church. Um, I used to see different things happen in church and wonder why they would happen as well. People that would hoot and holler and things like that. Or, or why the pastor always had a nice Bible, this big Bible. I knew it was holy is all I knew. Was, but very seldom was anything really taken from the Bible. So there was, you know, there was always a lot of stuff happening, but the Bible was really not the center focus of the service. And I saw that as I was younger. And I always said when I would go back and forth to church, I didn't want to go to a church where they didn't teach the Bible. I don't know if Sheila remembers that, but um, I remember telling her that when she, I asked her for some guidance on what's a good church to go to, because she really was heavily in with the, the Lord and her relationship with him. So I grew up in a Baptist church. I remember um, uh, visiting and going to Pleasant, uh, was it Pleasant Green Pilgrim? Because I used to be able to walk to them from my cousin's house. And then I eventually ended up at Salem. And I had some cousins that went to Salem. So I, I joined Salem. I got baptized with water by Pastor Wade, Reverend Wade is what we called him. And then uh, I can just remember having really a good time there. Because uh, Sunday school was fun, and then in the choir was fun. We traveled a lot. And uh, I just remember that people were so dressed up. It was just beautiful. It was just pretty. <laughs> it was very pretty there. And that's all I can remember about Salem. But, you know, after you get older, you kind of pull away. Um, I probably in my early teens, 12, 13, I didn't go to church as much more busy with uh, sports and cheerleading and boys and having fun. Um, but I do remember in grade school that there, and I, I'm sure this was her last name too. Cam her name was Camille. I went to a movie 
the greatest story ever told. And the person I went with, her name was Camille and her family. And I really believe it was Camille Matoyer because I remember her and the freckles. She's a different person now than when I remember when I was, we were in grade school. Uh, but that movie, oh my goodness, it was long. I remember it had a break in between. I sat at the edge of my seat through the whole movie because I felt like I was living what they were going through uh, in that movie. Anyway, after several years as a teenager, I was pregnant at 15, had a baby at 16, and even married at 16. So I didn't have much of a growing up years. I was automatically an, an adult. An emancipated minor is what we were called when we uh, you know, didn't go to traditional high school and were out on our own. But I did finish high school and wanted to be a nurse. I remember wanting to do that. And I did actually fulfill that, that goal. But I knew something was missing in, in my life, too. Um, and so probably at about 30, uh, I don't know what was happening in the world. Sometimes things that happen in the world uh, tend to run you towards God more, wanting to know more about him or, or where you came from or where you're going to go. I always wonder where we're going to live. Where are we going to live? Am I going to live in heaven? I want to be in heaven. So I wanted to make sure I was going to make heaven as I rededicated my life. And that time, because I was an adult, I really experienced the born again experience. And it was like, oh, wow, this is not the same place that I was in. <laughs> it's not where I, I, I left and I don't want to go back there, but this is really new. I felt brand new. I felt fresh, I felt clean, and all I wanted to do is get in the Word and get around other Christians. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. There was nobody to help get me where I needed to go, and I didn't know how to pursue or to ask. And so I got more wrapped up in, in raising children and career-type things, and, and you know that experience faded away. And then uh, my mom passed away. She, she passed away a lot earlier than I thought that she should. But I watched her life, too, and she had a real hard, hard, hard life. She was 59. Um, and so uh, when that happened, I knew then that, oh, my, what could I have done to have a better relationship with her? And I, I definitely want to see her again. And so I, again, sought the Lord, and I said, okay, God. This is it for me. I have to make heaven. I want to see my mother again. And, and I never got a chance to meet her mother, which was my grandmother, because she passed when I was a baby. So I, I um, rededicated my life, and I, told, I called Sheila, because Sheila was like my connection to the church world at the time. And she says, okay, you got to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. You really need your prayer language. I said, okay, whatever I need, that's what I got to do because I don't want to mess up this time. And I, she helped me get my prayer language, and she helped me find a church. I went to Victory Church, and uh, Pastor Ken Schroeder was the pastor. And he embraced me as a child of his, and I grew, and I really um, enjoyed it. Until, you know, he left uh, the ministry, um, I went to... Uh, got me. But, you know, during that time, that call, it was almost like uh, God was really, he was, um, he was wooing me. 
I didn't realize, I didn't know relationship. I didn't know the word intimacy with God. I didn't know that any of that stuff existed. But I knew, you know, something was wooing me and drawing me. And I just, you know, was so, so sensitive that I was able to accept and not draw back and be fearful in it. I'm probably more fearful now because I'm more knowledgeable than then. So I was naive. So that scripture talks about come to me as a child and embrace the kingdom of heaven as a kid is so important to um, to realize, you know, in your walk and your experience with God. But I wanted to share that, you know, during that time we had a revival, we had people come and go, and I saw the different gifts and the anointings and the presence, and I was just at awe, and I, I was really drawn to the prophetic. It just felt like I needed to do that. That's where I belong. That was my fit. I found, I finally arrived. I said, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to prophesy. I had no clue what a prophecy was at all. And so I learned uh, more about that um, through uh, participating uh, in trainings at, and, and other churches on the prophetic because we didn't have real strong prophetic ministry at Victory uh, Church. I can recall the dreams and things getting much more vivid for me. And I can remember the, the actual call. I can't really give you the date and the time. It's ironic because I had journals and so forth that, you know, finally just kind of disappeared. But at that time, that's when God was doing a reset and he doesn't, he didn't want me to <laughs> lean back on stuff from the past. Even though I learned that things that you receive now eternally is in, is in eternity and it's always there. So anyway, that experience was um, amazing. I was just, you know, I, I would call it, I don't know if I'll call it a trance, but it was kind of like out of body experience too, but I was able to see. So it was, it was vision as well, but you know, an angel had come and, and, and kind of interrupted me and said, come. And I, I jumped back because I was shocked. He interrupted me. He didn't see, tell me he was coming to say anything to me. I didn't have any warning. And uh, at the time of me releasing back, there was this soothing voice that said, do not be afraid. But it was so subtle and soft and warm that I just yielded to the voice. And out of body, I went. And I was in heaven. And so I called that my call. Because that was totally <laughs> indescribable for one, but something you ne I never forget. It's almost like it happened to me yesterday or today, that, that experience. And I call that my call because it, it was this divine hand that I say the hand of God. And, you know, fivefold is fivefold, which is the hand of God. And um, whatever he imparted in me happened at that point in time. And it just, from there, things began to really grow. And so um, in this teaching, you know, um, my call was, uh, that was where I felt God really had set me apart. And then it, it seems like he began to guide everything. I didn't have to do anything. And you really should not have to open any doors, push any doors down, or go out and get business cards or do any of this kind of thing. You just have to yield and obey and become God's instrument. From there, he trains you. 
He prepares you. He releases you. He empowers you. Man is there to assist God as, as his, you know, his helpers. Um, but it's not, it's not man's doing. It's all God's. And because it is, man can't stop it or prevent it from happening. He finds a way to make it happen for you. So if you're called as a prophet or an apostle or any of the fivefold ministry gifts, you have been set apart for ministry with a special calling to proclaim God's word. And from there, there will be specific assignments, things that he will have you do, things that you must accomplish during your lifetime. The training and the preparation is very extensive. It is called, I call it the process of consecration because it's, it's a process. And, and during the boot camp, we talked about the word consecrate. Consecrate, that word is so important. It means to make holy. It means to dedicate to a higher purpose. So you being set apart and dedicated for God's purposes, meaning a higher purpose. The word itself, the part of the word that is spelled S-E-C-R, the middle part of consecrate, it comes from a Latin word called sacred. Remember that something consecrated is dedicated to God. So it is sacred to God. That training, transformation, and um, that comes and follows is a part of consecration. So you're consecrated, then you're trained, and then you're transformed. And from the transformation comes the commissioning and finding the release. So in the Bible, if we talk about the word transformation, it means to change and to be renewed. That's actually what happens when you're born again, the born again experience. Your body is conformed now to this brand new you. Romans 12, 2, it talks about being conformed. There again, a process doesn't happen overnight. And depending on what you're called to do, I'm sure like apostles, possibly, <laughs> it's a lifetime. I'm thinking for myself, I was, um, that, that experience for me, the call was like in the mid nineties, early nineties. And, um, training began from that. I mean, I'm your training, I think begins at birth, <laughs> you know, but, uh, where you're acknowledging it and you, you know you're a part of it and active in it. That part for me went all the way through 2002 is when I was ordained, you know, as a prophet. So from the 90 to 2002 was, is that 12 years thereabouts, whatever it is. And, and then from, from even the ordination, you're still not released fully into your what God wants you to do until you are I call it a oneness in him where he knows that he can trust you there's like nothing else that can nothing that can touch you he has got you <laughs> you are committed you are sold out you can't your mind can't be changed anything that you do is from his direction in you and on you, on your life. So that's that commitment part that comes after training and preparation.
Okay, so I wanted to point out, like, on the call. Once you're called, then there's, like, with Jesus, he, he was driven out into the wilderness. Why? To be tested. So part of your calling, as you're in this training process, will come tests that you have to pass. And as you pass a test, then you're moving up another level. As you pass a test, then you're moving up and given more responsibility or given more gifting or given more anointing or given more power and authority. So that these tests have to happen. And what do you do? You just have to go through them. You have to endure them as a good soldier and find out what it is you're supposed to receive as a result of them. I know Benny Hinn teaches about different tests that a minister goes through. Uh, and he calls it one of them the word test and the vision test and et cetera. You can uh, search, I'm sure, the internet and get you know, copies of his teachings on that. So from your training, what did I do is when I was trained? I went to various conferences. I went to hands-on training where I was put at, it didn't matter. I just had to do this. So if they, if they put me up front and said, now open your mouth and start speaking, <laughs> then gifts were activated in me and I would open my mouth and words would come out. I had no clue where they came from because I knew they weren't coming from my, my head. It was not head knowledge. So those are the kind of trainings that you go to where you're getting pushed and trained. You're getting stretched. Gifts are getting activated and you want to go to bonafide trainings. Uh, my foundational training uh, for prophesying was initially Bill Hammond. And Bill Hammond was a Nobby prophet. So I learned how to prophesy as, as a Nobby. I had no clue I was considered a seer until God called me a seer. No one else really called me a seer, but sometimes they would anoint me when they would pray for me. They would anoint my eyes or they would pray things about, you know, the dreams and visions that you're having. You need to be doing this with them or you need to be doing that with them. They will say different things like that to me, maybe. But I, I never really considered uh, myself a seer because that word and terminology for me was in the Old Testament. And I didn't think it was anything that, you know, I needed to be concerned with. But when God calls you and says something to you, it's like this is this another seed that's planted. And it's like he activated or woke up something else in me to bring it to another level, to bring it to the surface. And when he did that, is when I start having this, these angelic visitations in my house and started to beginning to see things, seeing portals. Um, and uh, the uh, one, one other evening I saw, and I don't know if I got a chance to tell Apostle Loretha this, but the horses that I had saw in my room, I don't know if I had told anybody this, Horses, yeah, white horses, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's. So when you become, when you're a seer, the, the that rim is more vividly open to you. But I know that God doesn't show us things or do things like that without it being a word for something or for a purpose. So I always seek the meaning of what He is sharing with me. Um. So that that is that's part of the training, and I'm still see still in training. We never quit training. We're still training. 
I'm sorry. I don't know. I'll have to share that with you a little more what I'm getting or sensing about them. There was beautiful. It was white, had the beautiful hair, and he, he was adorned with head gear and, you know, ribbons and, you know, it's, it was it was just beautiful. But I couldn't see past the front part of the frame because I, you know, probably would take up the whole room. I don't know if I had to, could have, or it would have been something that would have been too, too overwhelming for me. I don't know. I only saw a portion. But I just saw it and looked. I said, okay. Went back to sleep. So I'm, another word that God's given to me recently since my trip to Tulsa or either back was the word sent. It was, it was on, while I was on the trip, synthesizing. He says, I'm synthesizing you, making me more sensitive to certain areas in the spirit realm. So your training is, as, as I believe, life, go, life going, ongoing, and will be even when we go to eternity. We'll be training. We'll be training and we will be trained. Uh, Darling Hart was somebody early in my life that got put in my life to really open up the supernatural to me because she really had a lot of supernatural encounters and experiences. Darling Hart, she went to um, victory for, for many, many, many years. Yeah. Okay. And I would travel and got plenty of trainings under uh, John Eckhart's church and then uh, on my own I branched out and went to uh, the international apostles and prophets uh, gatherings in Texas Dallas Texas and you know there were people like Dutch Sheets and Chuck Pierce and Bill Hammond was is also a part of that group and Cindy Hammond just it's it's a wide variety of prophets <laughs> Cindy Jacobs. Yeah, Cindy Jacobs. Oh, uh, anyway, it's just that and that brings a balance to you for your gift. It balances your gift and, and as God is uh, perfecting you as you know, to evolve into who he's called you to be. So from training, then we go into commissioning. Because you're always remember, you're always training. I'm still training now. I just came back from one in Tulsa. It was their uh, Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute that Paula Price puts on. So you're always training. And commissioning comes when it's time. When God really has shined that light on you and nobody can ignore it. <laughs> and if they feel that they don't obey what God is saying and doing, which is acknowledge it, that they are, they are hindering and they don't want to get in the way of God, so they're going to do it, whether they want to do it or not, <laughs> whether they believe it or not. It's a have to. It's a must. So it's a formal. To be commissioned is to have a formal warrant. It's like a warrant <laughs> that's taken out and sealed by a judge. It's a do formal document, authority granted, granting certain powers, privileges, and authorizing or commanding the performance of certain duties. It's like, okay, this is who you are. This is what you're supposed to do. Now go do it. They're speaking on behalf of God to man to empower you, to acknowledge you, 
to present you to the people. Now, remember, most people already know. It's just that formal process that goes. But there's, it's truly a transition, transition or transference of, of anointing that occurs. Because when you go, it's just a, it's, it's electric. And you know God's in control and he's doing something. So it's, it's, it's a must. It's something that he has commanded. It's like an appointment, an appointment as an officer. Um, and the mandate is to do what it is God's called you to do. And everybody is, it witnesses it. Part of that commission is the release, release into ministry. For me, I began to have more and more regular supernatural encounters and dreams and visions uh, once I was ordained. And that was in 2002. So that's even been, oh goodness, that's been like 20 years now. And so time is really precious, but it can really, it can go very, very fast. And it seems like it's being sped up. Time is even being sped up. So I would just sit in silence a lot and just learn to uh, what we say, practice the presence of God, enter into his presence, hear and receive from him, know what he wants to do in you, yielding. I can remember when I felt the time that um, I felt this supernatural uh, oneness in the spirit that I had received in, in my in my heart, in my, in my gut. It was, it's really, really hard to describe. If I don't know if anybody else has had that happen. It was like, he took a hold of it and, and just kind of twisted me, intertwined into my spirit, and we became one. Um, what else? I call that a supernatural, supernatural experience of becoming one in him and even the time before the ordination you know god had also mantled me uh through several visitations and a heavy presence up on my, up on my shoulders actually up on my body it was almost like i was enveloped by something or someone and it was really it was really spooky then more than anything else i can't say i was scared it just was so unusual that I was uncomfortable and I knew he want, I knew it was real and I knew he wanted something I knew had no clue what he wanted I just would say okay God what do you want what should I do what do you want me to do what am I supposed to do with this <laughs> give me something what, what do you want me to do so you know after a couple nights it was like rest just sit there rest and receive it don't move till I'm done Okay, <laughs> but that that those nights were uh, very interesting, and of course my wilderness. Everybody has the wilderness. We are tested, and I've had some some wildernesses. From uh, I can remember uh, my car uh, spinning. I always use the word profusely. I don't know if anybody likes that word, but maybe I use it because I'm a nurse. <laughs> but it was like spinning out of control in the air. It's like I had no control over it. My car. 
car, I was switching lanes and it hit black ice and it went up in the air. And it was spinning like so profusely, it felt like somebody had a hold of it. It didn't feel like it was supposed to just kind of spin and spin off on the road somewhere. It felt like this is this is evil. This is evil. <laughs> and, and I just grabbed the wheel and just, you know, told, hollered, told Jesus. I said, okay, Lord, Jesus, you got to stop it because I can't. And just hollered his name out. And as soon as his name was released out of my mouth, something grabbed the car, stopped it right in, in, the, in the air and just took it, put it down. It's almost like slow motion, put it down off to the side of, uh, in the grass. So that should have been a bloody mess, I guess. <laughs> you know, you're going 65 miles an hour and that happens to you on a highway. It was pretty busy out too. It was just before dawn, like 6 a.m. or so. People were getting back and forth and going to work. But it was that, that, that could, I would call that a wilderness experience, but I really would call it more of a test because it's like, what would you do if that happened to you? Would you know what, what, what it happened to you? I think they're pre-positioned and pre-ordained for us. I didn't know that. But when it happened, did I pass the test? I must have passed the test. I'm still standing here talking to you guys. But if I had not passed the test, he allowed it. He doesn't cause anything. He doesn't cause a lot of the stuff. But he allows it because it's a part of the test. That was a test of my faith. Because mm -hmm. Pastor Marshall, when he heard me explain it, he got... Yes, yes. Well, I have no problem doing that. But, 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 but I didn't lose it. I could have just lost control. Took my hands off the wheel and said, okay, do what you want with me. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is. Uh-huh, the test. Yeah, exactly. You could die. The devil takes you out. I, God will not let me die. He's not gonna let, it's many, been many, many, many tests like that where I should not be here. That's one that I can, that he's given me to say. But I, when I shared that at church with Pastor Marshall, like a word of knowledge, he said, that was the gift of faith. I said, oh, okay. I always wonder how the gift of faith worked. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, then other tests that are really that I know was a wilderness experience is when my daughter Don got sick. My, my, my. You all that know me that have been a part of that and walked through that experience with me. Nine months, nine months. Jesus told me, you carried her for nine months twice. I said, okay, God. That means I passed the test. Thank you, God. And I just felt this, this real beautiful release, you know, like flying <laughs> afterwards. Because when you're in it and you're on something, your spirit is gripped to it. You can't let it go. You're on it. You're on it. 
your emotion, you're going, you're going through it, praying, fasting, showing up, being there every minute, every day, testing, go to bed, get up, pray all night, get up, continue every day in the hospital, back and forth every day, dealing with the hospital, dealing with the doctors, dealing with the unbelief, dealing with all of that craziness that, that was going on. Whew. Yeah. So that was one. Just, and then of course, Sean, that's the current one. Ooh. With his, t with that test, it was, it's more a test for him than it is for me. But I'm trying to help him <laughs> get through his test and pass his test. It's a trying of his faith. It's his belief. You know. And who he, knowing who he is and whose he is. I'm sorry. Yeah, Don had a test. That was a test for her too. You're right. You're right. Oh, everybody, you, everybody that was involved. Oh, it was just amazing. Yeah, I know you were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aretha and, and then uh, Darina and there were several that he said. And all the all the the, the uh, teammates and friends from all over that have moved and come back and they come into town. They, come, they made trips here for visits throughout the whole process, or made sure they called her and was on the phone or <laughs> FaceTiming. And oh my, whew, don't want to relive that, but that was amazing. That God, we could see God's hand vitally working. Angels coming in performing procedures at the bedside. They would not move her room. It was like her; she was in a sacred place. It was they would not move her. <laughs> oh, she was like a case study for them. Then, after passing the test, after all the sacrifices you've made, complete transformation of your character, your spirit, your soul, who you are is all transformed to into. His image. God can trust you. It's, he can trust you with his anointing. He can trust you with his gifts. And most important, he can trust you with his children. His elect, his very elect. Whew. And only God knows when it's time to release you and unveil you. But better believe if you're unveiled to people, the enemy knows your name. He knows who you are. And as a result of that, come the angelic host, the angels. Nothing, like I said, nothing can come past. God will not allow it. But he's got you in the center of his wheel, and you one with him. You don't want to go nowhere else, <laughs> because you know. You know, you know that you know that you know. You are his vessel. You are his vessel. He flows through you with ease. He puts his spirit in you. He lets you know that I got your back. I got your back. He always told me early, early on, years and years ago, if I'm out about doing your business, then you're taking care of my business. Thank you, God everything that pertains to you.
His hand is on it. Moving things out of the way. Opening doors, closing other doors. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, that's the, there you go. That's what I needed to, to get out, to share. Any, any questions?